0: Voices That Inspire the Extended Interview. Hey, I'm Sally Karius. I have been on the faculty at Florida State University for 52 years and have seen some amazing things in Tallahassee. Are you, where, where did you grow up? Wisconsin. Okay. I had left the University of Wisconsin thinking to change and finish med school. And, of course, I, we got here and was stunned Our campus was 50,000 at UW and campus here, I think, was maybe 15. Heat and big flying bugs.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and and what a different place FSU was back then. Yeah, it
0: really was. And I had come from, you know, University of Wisconsin, along with Kent and Murray State, had the only other deaths associated with the protest movement. And the day we left... The weatherman uh, blew up Sterling Hall, which faced the med school, and there was a death, two deaths, I think, in there. And I came down here where their big gig was streaking, and I wanted to say, you know, students, maybe we want to think about what's going on in the world and politically. And so I I guess I suffered as much from the sleepiness
1: as I did from the weather. Yeah. Well... So you, you came down, and what did you end up doing when you came down?
0: Well, I remember going on the campus, taking several hours to find the campus, finally looked like a little place that Hansel and Gretel might live, and said, hey, I'm Sally Carrieth. I want to be part of your med school. And they said, that's great, Mrs. Carrieth. If we had a med school, you could sure be part of it. So I thought, well, I'm a nurse. So I walked over at that time. Uh, Vivian Duxbury, and that's what our school is, Duxbury Hall, was living in one of those little houses on West Park Street. This would have been 6970 now. And I asked about graduate school, and she said, Of course, we have no graduate school, but I'm one faculty member short. Do you want the job? And I thought, What the heck? I'm not doing anything else today. And that was, in fact,
1: 52 years ago. <laughs> wow. So you have now become this sort of renowned person. On helping people navigate grief and trauma. where How did you get down that path?
0: I was mentored by Elizabeth Kubler Ross, and that name may not mean much to people anymore, but she wrote the original great and only book called Questions on Death and Dying. And when I was in school, she had come up from where she taught in uh, near Northwestern University of Chicago, and talked about the very odd idea of telling patients the truth about their diagnosis. And it was unheard of. But I remember after the first time I heard her, I went up and said, I want to do what you do. And she had a heavy Slavic accent. She was a triplet and escaped Nazi Germany. She was Austrian. And she said, we will see. If in to yells, you're still doing this? Yes, then maybe. And so... There was no one to teach you. I mean, I spent as much time with her as I could, and she came up and did a workshop. But I, when I got here, the other thing is I came from a major medical center, and I got here, and there were still segregated hospitals, if you can imagine. And I went to M.T. Musjin, who was the CEO at TMH, and said, I'd like to work with your dying patients. And he asked this great question, as all CEOs do. Is that going to cost me anything? I said, no, sir. I'll do it for free. And he said, okay, then you can do it. And then I went over to the FAM hospital and in fact realized that they had a better pediatric unit. And without asking anyone at FSU, I just took my students over there. And so when those kids went home for Thanksgiving, there was a lot of calls to the president. And so I was told that they didn't need me the next semester at FSU. And, uh, So I had a friend who was with ACLU, and then I got my job back. And so it's been a wonderful, wonderful trip, and I've seen such magnificent things happening for students. Their moral compasses are strong. Their commitment to reach back is strong. Their ability to recognize that we're all in this together, and they're going to have some work to do because we are leaving them a mess.
1: Yeah, so it's been we know that this has been a really trying time for all people and young people in particular are just feeling overwhelmed by the news, the pandemic, the isolation. I mean, I mean the list is long. Yeah, um I think it I think folks have mistakenly
0: felt it was bad for the elderly. I'm part of the elderly and It didn't affect us as much. We've been through wars, we've been through famine, we've been through the Depression, and so it was one more thing. It's the kids that I'm really concerned about. They are in bereavement overload. It was kind of a metaphor about carrying your trauma with you and then adding more and then adding more, and you're carrying it around and you can't put it down, and you try to open a Twinkie package and it doesn't open and you fall to the ground hysterical because there is one straw too many, And these kids miss their prom, their graduation, great dates, new ideas, um, not even going on school searches for where they were going to go to school, starting their first semester in their bedroom, for heaven's sakes. These kids have had it. They are in all kinds of—and grief and trauma are different, by the way. Trauma is so bad you don't want to think about it. Grief is something you think about over and over again until you can put it in a place— and they're still really gun shy. I still have them in a modified form of social distancing. I, it's like having a first grader. They've got name cards. I give them stickers every day. They get snacks every night. I teach over the dinner hour. And they're still cautious about not being too close to people or looking over. The, they're, here's the deal they're still waiting for the other shoe to drop. And I just think they've done magnificently. These 26,000 kids I've taught, they are so wonderful. Every single one of them. And I keep them for life. That's a good part. If I hear from someone that, just today, I I got a note from someone that said, you know, I graduated in 79. Do you remember when you helped me make my first IV? Yeah, Lolly, I really do remember that. (laughs) So my idea about teaching is that they're all mine forever.
1: Is that what keeps you doing it?
0: Yes. Um, a couple of years ago, I was close to retiring. And as your listeners may not know, I was married to Gerald Inslee, and he died very suddenly. And we had a whole bunch of plans about what we we're going to do. So I knew I had to keep teaching. My staying home all day didn't make any sense. And this is how I'm going to make the decision that will probably give people a little Insight. When my evaluations start getting bad, then it's time to teach. I'm not going to get the Brett Favre syndrome and keep trying it and trying it and trying it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to keep doing. It. I'm healthy. Um, I used to say my mother used to say about herself. Well, even when the dimension c- comes, there won't be much change. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, I, I, it's still fun for me.
1: And. What do you when you're with your students, what do you want them? What are you trying to impart to them that we're all in this together?
0: When I teach, I have several tenets I want them to walk away with. And that involves when I don't have any power over them. Students will do and acquiesce to what you say because you're going to give them a grade. But I want them to leave and say, I'm going to do these kinds of things because it's the right thing to do. Because I don't teach many facts. I teach a lot of truths. So I want them to know that they always have to have the reach back phenomena. That by virtue, they're sitting in a college classroom, no matter how poor they are, etc. That's luxurious in the look of the world. They constitute, what, one-tenth of one-half of one percent by virtue of the fact that they're going to college. I want them to always know that kindness is the very first and most important thing that we do. I want them to know that I will always be there. I want them to know that they're important and stunning and fearless and risk-takers and that they
1: can make a change in the world. Let's hope they do. We could use some change in the world. They, are, they do wonderful things.
0: I take kids to London over spring break. I've done this for a while, and then I teach in London in the summer. For years and years and years, I've done that. And I'll sit them in the corner. We're just a block away from the British Museum. And then I'll make them stand there for 10 minutes and then come back and tell me how many languages they heard. I tell them they become citizens of London the first time someone asks them how to get to the British Museum and i think they understand it profoundly they are gonna they they believe climate change is real they believe that rights for all people is imperative are imperative they they join they volunteer the things they do now when i was an undergraduate we were never part of that they their help, best buddies, the kids have been talking about, I teach an oral comp class uh, along with my death class. They belong to best buddies. They take care of big brother, big sister. They go on volunteer trips to Habitat. For, no one's making them do it. It doesn't count in any of their work. I, We are getting ready to do something called 100,000 Poets for Change, which is a worldwide event where poetry is written, read all over the world in an attempt to say, we're, here we all are reading poetry. And that have everything to do with my class. They show up on a Saturday. They all have poems. They all read. We, They don't ask. I take them to the theater because I think that's a form of communication. They come dressed up, ready to, to go, excited, little bushy tail, little bright eyes. I don't get any credit for that, but they all come. So, yeah, I'm real optimistic. These are kids who I think is going to do something about the things we didn't do.
1: So you ha- you've you had this long arc. So you've seen change from when you first arrived to this sleepy, hot...
0: Racist. Racist.
1: Divided, <laughs> mean-spirited community.
0: environment, yes.
1: I mean, and now, here you are 52 years later. What what would you say for the, those Tallahasseans who are new to this place about the history, the change, the opportunity here?
0: Yeah, I think we all need to be very proud of the progress we've made. I, I've always said I don't know that I've had a great impact on the city, but the greatest thing I think I've ever been asked to do was by M.T. Mushtin when the hospitals were integrated, and he said to me, for the first time, I'm going to put a black patient and a white patient in a room together, and I'm wondering if you'd be willing to be their nurse and two women getting their gallbladders out. And I, and I said, I'd be honored to do that, and it went easily. But he did such a magnificent thing. when he, When the FAM hospital was closed and they came to TMH, he kept them in their leadership positions. So if they were supervisors, they were supervisors there. If they were charge nurses, head nurses, heads of division... And it was a stunningly magnificent thing that he did. And I have seen the changes. I Just walk around on campus and how the kids are together and who's dating and who's holding hands. So it's not just race. It's LGBT stuff. It's It's understanding that they're on the corner talking about climate change, that they're Everyone's involved in the group. We have a long way to go, and we have taken several steps back in the last six months, as you know. But these kids are on the front lines. And in my classes I teach, I don't believe in trigger things. And I say, if you're going to be offended by something, this isn't the class for you. Because if we can't talk about it, we can't fix it. What do you think college is for, to talk about hard things? And I've never had a kid leave.
1: That's great. I oh. mean, it is so true. I mean, the thing that's so great about college is having those hard conversations that blow your mind. Yeah. and that what you want to have happen? You, you don't just go to college to— Yeah, that's what I say.
0: Uh, the first one I do was in the death and dying class, and I've done this forever. Uh, we have a whole unit on why death and religion are so usually put together. And then I give a little speech about tolerance and how people get to think different things and no one is going to take anything personally and that we're just going to talk about who believes it's over when it's over, who knows without a doubt that there, there's going to be some form of life after life. Those of you that are on the, the edge taking in the smorgasbord of beliefs and changing others because you need to know what other people think and you need to do it without it getting you angry. You're being angry because someone thinks differently than you. Now, you've got to keep kindness at the head of this. No one gets to be mean. But isn't that why we send our children to college? So they can hear other ideas? And then, of course, we've added abortion and the death penalty and climate change. And um, Israel, Palestine, I mean, if it's in the news, I make them bring their phones to class. Because if something comes up and we don't have it, then they all look it up and then we talk about what it is. And my teaching assistant finds it online, puts it up on the big screens, then we start talking about it. Why would I have them keep their phones away? How are we going to find out stuff? And after the first, of course, those treats I give them every day is funny too because you got any extras, Dr. Curious? (laughs) And, you know, part of that are children that don't have food. We've got something like a 6% homeless population in our kids. That are living on couches or cars or coming to Leeds in the morning for a shower. Um, we've got a food pantry. We've done some really wonderful things. But there are a lot of those babies struggling out there. And my job's to take care of them.
1: What what got you inspired to the work you're doing? How where did that come from? Where did that passion for learning and challenging hard thinking, where did that come from? come from for you?
0: Well, number one, I won the parent lottery. They walked on water. And they both died nearly a 100. Still bright as pennies, doing the New York Times crossword puzzle before me. No chronic illnesses. Could be that good Wisconsin weather. But that was really the trip. If you saw Vera Peterson walking through River Falls, Wisconsin with a pot of hamburger soup, somebody's dead. <laughs> and, and she's going over. Or if there's someone in the neighborhood, little old people that need their windows fixed, then you see Austin Peterson over there doing those windows. So I had the best mentors in the world. I have two wildly successful siblings. My sister is an MD-PhD out of Vanderbilt. My brother went, who died with a brain tumor. But this is an aside, but I remember like the week after he died, we were up at our cottage up north and we were laying on the dock, and I said something, just because it was a beautiful night to my dad and mom, about, I know that you must be overwhelmed with Tommy being gone. And they both said, we had such a magical 40-some years, and if you look at those stars, how could anyone be anything but exhilarated all the time? So they taught me. Um, I learned that hamburger soup recipe at my mother's knee, Amanda would tell you, my daughter Amanda would tell you, she too can make a good, she's a vegetarian, so of course it's a different form of it. And I, I see in Amanda so much of my parents. I mean, isn't that the way you want it? That what you what you give to people are the idea of living a beautiful, enveloping, non-exclusionary life.
1: Um, so it was Vera and Austin. That's great. I love that. can picture them. As people are often listening to this segment in their car, what would you want them to know? How to navigate some of their own intense emotions? How do we help people?
0: By being a helper. I mean, this is really simple. So right now, if you're listening to this in your car, first of all, take two deep breaths hold it for a minute, blow it out. Okay, that'll settle you for a bit. And then make a promise. Before this day is over, I will do something to help another individual. I know there's a lot of white noise in all of our heads. But essentially, there isn't a day when we can't make someone's life better. And by doing that, your own life just got better.
1: I totally subscribe to that philosophy. That's perfect.
0: And this has been great. This is Sally Kariath, Florida State University. And I used to have a tag on my radio show that I had for years was, listen, Tallahassee, I count you when you come in, and I want the same number when you go out. And that's why we all live in Tallahassee.